0: relationships a mess worth making. My name is Ken Brown. I'm the pastor of our church here, and I'll be leading our lecture time over these next 12 weeks through the notebook that you have in front of you. And if you will turn to the very first page in those notebooks that just has the title page on it, and I will mention something important about the subtitle. We've titled the series Relationships a Mess Worth Making, But that first title page has a a subtitle that has an important word that I'll allude to in just, just a bit. Let me begin by noting that as the title of the mailer that many of you received suggests and the title of the series behind me says, this is about relationships. And I want to make clear that it is about relationships in general. It is not about the marriage relationship, for instance, in particular. It is not in particular about the relationship between parents and children or between co-workers or between managers and employees. It's not about any relationship in particular. It is about relationships in general. And that's important, one, because this group is a mixed group of folks in different relationships. Some are married, some are not. And so a series that's devoted strictly to the marriage relationship would not be directly applicable to those who are not in a marriage relationship. But this series is about relationships in general. And there are two things that I know about you and your relationships because it's true of of all of us. And the first thing is that we are all in all sorts of relationships. There are marriage relationships and there are relationships with our children and there are relationships at work. And relationships with neighbors and with extended family. So I know already, even though I don't know everyone here, I already know that. You are in relationship. And so a series that is looking at what the Bible has to say about the topic of relationships in general then is applicable to every one of us because we're all in them. But here's the second thing I know about you, even if I don't know you. And that is we all have trouble in our relationships from time to time. Relationships can, as the title of our series suggests, be messy. There are relationships and we are all in them, but they are very often messy. They are very often untidy. They are very often difficult. And part of the reason that you're here is because no doubt you have experienced that. Every last one of us has experienced the trouble that goes with the relationships that we are all in. Now, I have a confession to make to you. And that is that, as much as I hate to admit it, the truth is I contribute to the trouble in my relationships. My wife tells me this all the time. But she's right. And it would be right to say that she contributes to the trouble in her relationships, whether with me or others, because the fact of the matter is every last one of us contributes something to the difficulty that is involved in our various relationships. All of us do. And I say that from the outset because it's important for you to be willing to admit that and confess that as I have to. I, you, contribute to the difficulty that is involved in our relationships. And we're going to flesh that out beginning today. The reason that I had you turn to that title page, the very first page in your notebook, says that the subtitle of this series is Change in Your Relationships. Now, that first word, change, is the C word. That can be scary. Many of you came hoping to get some ammunition for how to change somebody else. But if what I said is true, that I contribute to the trouble, the difficulty in my relationships, and you do also, then the change that's spoken of in that title, Change in my in Our Relationships, is not first about change in the life of somebody else. It's about how I can change in the midst of the relationships that I have. And so from the outset, it's important for you to settle on those two very important issues, to be willing to admit that you contribute, I contribute to the, the mess, the trouble that is our relationship. And then be willing to commit to changing yourself in the midst of your relationships. As we go, we will see principles that will help you help others change as well. But the first objective each of us is to have is to see ourselves, the trouble that we contribute to our relationships, and then be willing to make the changes that are necessary. Necessary. And so, we're not here, first and foremost, to change someone else. Now, if you'll turn to Lesson 1 and Page 2. And as you do that, you say, well, what about Page 1? Well, this study guide has some sections in it like warm-up questions and that kind of thing that we won't do most of the time, if any of the time, simply for the sake of time. So we will get right into the lecture portion of your study guide, which for lesson number one begins on, begins on page two. And notice the first, uh, the top paragraph there that begins, relationships can be messy. Relationships can be messy. Having to deal with flawed people in a broken world can make one wonder if some relationships are even worth it. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever avoided a neighbor or a coworker? Have you ever chose to just swallow how you really feel because of the work involved? If you really opened up, it just doesn't seem worth it. The difficulty of relationships can lead to families sharing the same space without sharing meaningful contact. Church meetings becoming a formality with no attempt to share in the lives of others. Neighbors living side by side without knowing anything significant about one another. Is that really the way to live? Is it okay to keep ourselves keep to ourselves so that we don't get hurt or don't hurt someone else? What's wrong with just playing it safe, which many of us would like to do? Now, before we read on and go on to the following pages, I'm going to give you some information that's not in your notes, and that's why there's a margin there for you to jot down some notes if you care to do that. But the first thing that each of us needs to do in all of our relationships is to examine what I call what I bring to the table. What do you bring to the table? What do I bring to the table in my relationships? And what we all bring to the table in our relationships falls under three broad categories. So what do I bring into this relationship? What do you bring? Three categories. First one is this, nature. And I'll explain in a moment. But what do I bring? I bring my own nature into this. But there's a second category of things I bring into the relationship, and that is nurture. I bring my own nature into the relationship, but I also bring, and I'll explain what I mean by it, I bring my own nurturing into the relationship. And then the third category that I bring in, that we all bring in, is my desires. My desires. So the first thing each of us needs to do as we examine our relationships is to say to ourselves, what do I bring into this relationship? What do I come into this relationship with? And there are these three categories of nature and nurture and desires. And I'll explain what those are. When I do premarital counseling with a couple that's looking to be married, one of the things I try to do with them without calling it this is to do a baggage Check. And the baggage check is really what I'm talking about in nature and nurture and desires. It's trying to help this couple see what each of them bring into this relationship before they actually commit to it. And there are a number of things that each of them bring that, if they understand that at the beginning, they can prepare for and head off potential difficulties in the future. If they don't know those, And they don't prepare for those. They are the kinds of things that typically create big problems in marriages in the future. And so I try to do what I call a a baggage check. And that baggage check involves these three things, nature, nurture, and desires. Now, what are those? When I talk about nature, I'm simply talking about the things with which you are naturally disposed, naturally gifted, the things that, that God has given to you. It's your nature. It's your particular makeup. It includes your, your personality. It includes your giftedness. It's who you are by virtue of having been born into this world, with two sets of, two a set of parents a, you know a male and a female that contributed certain things that have made up your natural God-given personality. Every one of us comes into the relationships with this category of, of nature. And so I bring into it my personality. And whoever I'm in relationship with brings into it their personality and their giftedness. And so, by nature, you have people coming into relationship who are outgoing. It's just the way they are. They're wired that way. You have people coming into relationship who are introverted. They're more inward focused. It's just the way they're wired. And now you get these people together in various combinations. You get two people who are introverted. You get two people who are extroverted. You get one of each coming into a relationship, both bringing their baggage. What they bring to the table is their nature, which include includes things like that. So we say things like opposites. What do we say? Opposites attract. That's what we mean. A lot of times, you know, a a more introverted gal might be uh, attracted to a more extroverted guy or or vice versa. And And you do find that a lot of times. But the truth of the matter is, our relationships don't always allow us a choice. It's not like a consumer transaction where I go into the store and say, I'll take one of these and two of these, leave these behind, or I'll take this one and try it out, I'll keep the receipt, though. There are some relationships that you come into, unlike if you had good premarital counseling and you can say, yes, this is a go or no, it's not. The biological family you're in, you didn't choose. Or your workplace, especially in an economy like today, may not offer you a lot of options to move to another place. You're there with those people, and they bring their baggage. They bring what they have to the table, and that includes their nature. And so you are going to be in relationships with people who bring a different set of natural propensities to that relationship, often different than what you have, and often contributing to the difficulty of getting along in our relationships. So we bring to the table three things. Nature is the first one our God-given propensities, abilities, personality. The other one we bring is nurture. And by nurture, I mean how you were brought up, how you were taught, what you saw as to how relationships are to be pursued. You were brought up, you were nurtured with a particular approach toward conflict resolution. Toward how you talk to people. Toward how whether or not you show affection. And now you bring a couple of people into a relationship. They're both bringing different baggage, different things to the table from the nurture category. And one grew up in a family, for instance, that hugs all the time. Every time you go to a family event, everybody's hugging everybody. You got somebody else who came from a more stoic kind of family. That was their nurture. We don't hug. And so they go to the first Thanksgiving event, and they're being mobbed by people. And they're being hugged, and they're sort of stiff. And how does the family interpret that stiffness? They don't like us. And immediately they start, the entire family starts on a change project now. For this poor soul, who's bringing his or her baggage into that relationship but it's part of the nurture category. It was how he was raised. And so there are things like how do we or whether we display affection. Do we have family times together and lots of them? Some do and some don't. That's going to affect how you come into any relationship. Whether or not people were in the presence of others generally quiet or loud. There are families that just everybody's talking and they can all hear each other at the same time. And other people where we talk one at a time and we say, excuse me. And so it's the more bombastic approach. It's the more chaotic approach. You've got the more orderly approach, but that's how you were raised. You bring nurture to it. And then there are are things, as part of your nurture, how you were brought up, that may, may be very painful that you bring into a relationship. There are secrets in our family. There are things that were done to me, or things that were done by me, that I don't want anybody else to know about. And it is only going to be a select group of people, very select group of people, if any, that I ever confide that this occurred in my life. But it's part of your upbringing. It's part of what you saw. It's part of what you bring to the table. And it falls under the nurture category. So all of us bring nature and we bring nurture into all of our relationships. And then we bring this third thing that I mentioned, and that is our desires. And our desires are often affected by those first two things. What I want, what I desire out of you in a relationship is often affected by my nature and my nurture. I have certain expectations out of you. And the word expectations means I expect you to meet them. Now, do you all see we start to approach why our relationships have get messy and have trouble? Because I have desires. Those desires now create expectations. I have expectations now that I am imposing upon you, things I want you to meet for me. And depending on how loosely or firmly I grip those desires is going to determine how much I demand that you meet my expectations. But every last one of us brings desires into the relationship. And those desires, what we in turn expect out of the relationship, are affected by our nature and by and by our nurture. Now here's where relationships can really start then to get messy. Some of you have heard me say over the, the years this formula. Expectations minus reality results in trouble or results in danger expectations minus reality results in danger. All right, so I bring my baggage to the table. You bring your baggage to the table in whatever relationship we're in, a work relationship, a marriage relationship, whatever it is, a church relationship. I bring my categories, nature and nurture. And there are certain things that I desire out of this relationship that I expect you to contribute for me. And to the extent that you don't do that, there's a gap. There's expectations and then there's you. There's what I wanted and what I expected and then there's you. What I wanted, what I expected and you. The gap could be really small. The gap could be very large. But to the extent that there's a gap between what I expect and what I want and what you're doing... It's dangerous. Potential trouble for our relationship. Now, I want you to just think about this for a second. What makes my desires and my expectations so important that somebody else should have to meet them? I mean, is there anything that really makes my desires and my expectations so important that it's incumbent on somebody else to meet them? We're going to talk about that in the weeks to come, but I just want to plant that seed now because the fact of the matter is so many of us come into our relationships with these often unspoken desires and expectations. We expect somebody to meet the standard that we have created, And we believe, without ever challenging it ourselves or having it challenged by anyone else, that we have a God-given right to have these expectations met. And I want you to just pause long enough to say, is that true? Is it really true that I should expect somebody to behave, to act, to do for me in a particular way simply because I desire it and expect it from them? expectations minus the real situation, the gap between those puts us in a danger zone and is often what contributes to the mess that is our relationships. I'll take a look at the bottom of page two then. I left off at that third paragraph. Oddly enough, we can live with the tension between self-protective isolation and the desire for meaningful relationships. We can, on one hand, avoid the discomfort often created by relationships, but at the same time, know that we're less than human when we're alone. Every relational decision we make tends to move toward either isolation or immersion. And sometimes we may find ourselves at an extreme end of that continuum. We're tempted to make relationships either less or more than they were intended to be. And so here, we're trying to make the point that I bring these desires, these expectations. I'm trying to show you that those desires and expectations are shaped by our nature and our nurture, our background, our own baggage. And we come then into the relationship, and we want certain things. Notice the line there, the continuum on page two. I want, perhaps, you to make me secure. I want to be safe in this relationship. But notice how it starts. I want. I desire. I expect. Or, I need you, which has behind it what I desire, what I expect. I need you in order for my life to to go on. I need you in order to live. Without you, I can't function as I ought and so i'm immersed in this relationship with you or i'm isolated from you because i just want to be i want to be safe and relationships can be dangerous now we're going to move on to pages 3 and 4 here in just a second but let me just make this point as emphatically as i can the nature and the nurture that another person brings into relationship with you is not the problem The nature and the nurture that another party brings into relationship is not the problem. And if you don't get that straight from the outset, you will spend your life trying to change the other person. From the outset, understand that the real problem is the desires and expectations that I bring for this person. And they look like things at the bottom of page, two. I want to be safe. And it results in an isolationist approach. I need you in order to live. So there are certain things that you must do for me. And I immerse myself in this relationship. Now what I'd like to do before we look at pages 3 and 4 is to just take a moment to pray. And having laid out that introduction, I would like to pray for myself and for each of us here that we will come to this series with an open heart and an open mind to say to our God, Lord, I want you to show me the expectations and the desires that I have imposed on my relationships that have contributed to the trouble, the mess that is those relationships. Show that to me and help me to be able to change those things and help me to be an agent of change in the lives of those with whom I have relationship. Okay, Let's ask the Lord to do that. Father, we thank you for this time and this opening segment of our time on this important topic of relationships. I thank you for these dear folks who have come to hear what you have to say. Not what Ken has to say, but ultimately what you have to say about us and about your purpose for relationships and about how we are to pursue them and to show us from the mirror of your word how so often we bring our baggage as sovereign baggage into our relationships, that this is what I bring to the table and I make a demand on another to fulfill my desires, my wants, and my interpreted needs in this relationship. Help us to see that. And help us to see that though we were made for relationships, made for relationships by you, that you have a better, a much better plan for us in our relationships. Lord, help us to be willing to look at that, and then, Lord, grant us the willingness and the ability to make the changes that each of us needs to make in order to be the partners in relationship that you desire for us to be. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you turn to page 3, and in our remaining time and throughout our 12 weeks, you're going to find that we are going to focus much of our attention on God and what God has to say about our relationships. Now, hopefully that won't come as too much of a surprise to you since this series is sponsored by a church. And I hope that the state of our churches is still such that God is a frequent topic of, of, of ministry in our churches. It is here. And so when you come here, we talk a lot about God, and we talk about how God has relevant, practical application to how you and I live every day, including in things like relationships. And so in the pages that follow and in the weeks that follow, we're going to be looking at what God has to say in the book that he has given, Holy Scripture, about this important topic of relationships. Now, I wonder if you would be willing to admit that very often we will acknowledge God as an important player in our lives, but we really live practically like atheists. And here's what I mean by that. If you were asked on a, on a questionnaire, do you believe in God, you would all answer yes. 95% of people answer yes, I believe in God. But if you're asked in your day-in, day-out routine, in your relationships at home and at work and with your neighbors and extended family, how does God relate to that? Many of us would be stumped. Because practically speaking, God doesn't play an important active role in our relationships and in other areas of our lives. And so we want to break out of that practical atheism and show that not only do we believe in God in theory, but God is relevant in practice as well. So notice page 3. You have these different ways that people approach relationships. They bring their nature, their nurture, their desires to it. They contend toward one extreme of isolation, the other extreme of immersion, and you blend those together in various kinds of relationships. Let's look at some of those quickly. One type of relationship then that results is called the frustrated relationship. In this relationship, one person moves toward isolation because of their nature, nurture, desires. The other moves toward immersion. So you've got one of each. One dreams of being safe, the other dreams of being close and intimate. So practically, how does that look in a, in that relationship, in things like a vacation? Notice the question. How would the perfect vacation look to each of these two types of people? Okay, so you got one who likes isolation and safety. The other one who wants immersion. And I have to have you to, to live. So you go on vacation, two people like that. The one who desires isolation may just want to sit and read and relax. The one who seeks immersion may want lots of activities to do together. We've got problems even on vacation, don't we? Well, you never want to do anything. We always want to run around and spend money. All I want to do is have a vacation. I thought it'd be fun. That's been horrible. And out it goes. So they're going to look at vacations differently how might it feel to live in that kind of relationship well the isolationist is going to feel smothered by the immersionist constantly saying let's do stuff I need you I've got to have you so the isolationist is going to feel smothered the immersionist is going to feel rejected well they don't ever want to do anything with you. And both of them are going to be unhappy because their expectations are not being met. And so they both feel frustrated and disappointed. That may lead to anger between them. So that's one type of relationship. The frustrated, you bring two opposites into it. But the second one on page three is the enmeshed relationship. And here both people move toward immersion. Both parties are relationally dependent on the other, so they're both immersionists, they're both... Saying that I need you in order to have both of them. You say, "Well, that one sounds that one sounds better." But how would a vacation look like with with that? Well, these are the people. Uh, how do I how do I put this? You know, these are the people that uh, show too much public affection, and you hate being around them. They ignore other relationships because they're completely immersed in one particular relationship. And we've all probably known people like that. Perhaps we are people like that. So even on vacation, they might, they might ignore other important relationships. But how might it feel to live in that kind of relationship? Well, because they're so dependent, they're both immersed in the relationship, they can be very easily hurt when the other doesn't meet their expectation. And that can lead them to be highly critical of each other. Look, don't you know I need you? I need you desperately. I can't live without you. I'm immersed in this relationship. And so everything you fail to do or everything you do that you shouldn't takes on a greater significance than it would otherwise. They can feel discouraged because no matter how hard they try, they never measure up to the other person's expectations. And it's exhausting because every offense is magnified and has to be dealt with in a major way. If you look on page four, there's a third kind of relationship, the isolated relationship. Both of the people that come into it are on the other extreme. They're both bringing their nature and nurture into it, which leads them to just want a safe relationship, an isolated relationship. So how would the vacation look like for these people? Well, they could buy separate plane tickets to separate places. We don't even have to go together as far as I'm concerned or if we do decide to go together if nothing else for appearances sake they might spend a lot of time alone each reading a different book no doubt and how might it feel to live in a relationship like that well because they desire safety but also desire connection because the truth is every one of us no matter where we fit on the continuum we all were made to desire connection they feel empty and disappointed because they're with somebody who's looking for safety, like they're looking for safety. They both have this yearning for connection, but neither one of them is, is getting it. And so they feel empty and disappointed. Bottom of page four, when things go wrong in relationships, the problem's often rooted in the heart and in the expectations that we bring to the relationships. Whether it's our expectation for safety or for dependency. And this is why, friends, we need God's expectations for our relationships. What purpose does God intend relationships to serve? As persons created in the image of God, what should our relationships look like? Without a biblical model to explain the place relationships should have, we'll likely experience imbalance, confusion, conflicting desires, and in general, frustration. So, let's look at what God has to say about our relationships, beginning on page 5. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bible and you can juggle that with your notebook, then feel free to turn to John 17. If not, then just listen as I read John 17. John chapter 17 has 26 verses in it. And all of these verses are a long prayer of Jesus. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for, to the father. God the son praying to God the father. So if you ever want to know what's important to pray about, here's a prayer you could look at. And this is a prayer that Jesus actually prayed. So this is really technically the Lord's Prayer, not the one we usually call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a prayer that Jesus didn't pray. He gave to other people to pray. He said pray like this, Our Father in heaven, And in fact, as some of you have heard me say before, Jesus could not even pray the prayer that we normally call the Lord's Prayer because it has a line in it that says, forgive us our debts. And Jesus would never need to ask forgiveness. But this is the prayer Jesus really did pray in John chapter 17. And it's an eloquent prayer. And down in verse 20, Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, what does this have to do with this issue of relationships? Well, if you listen carefully or read that carefully, you'll see that Jesus' concluding words in this beautiful prayer are all about unity and relationship and one another, are they not? And they are all about, first and foremost, a priority relationship, priority in terms of time and priority in terms of importance that existed before you and I ever came on the scene. Before people were ever created, the one living and true God had relationship within himself between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is referring to when he says, this is the kind of love that you had for me before the creation of the world, and I want to share that with those you have given me, my followers, and I want to see that displayed in their relationships with each other, and in their relationship with me. Now, there are a number of things that we can learn quickly from Jesus praying that kind of communal, relational prayer on our behalf. Page 5. For whom and for what is Jesus praying? Well, he's praying for all those who would come to believe in him, and I hope that is all of us here. And he prays for them to be unified, for them to be one. And so Jesus looks back on his ministry while he was on earth in this prayer and all that it was meant to accomplish. And he's looking forward to in just a few days going to the cross and what it's supposed to produce. And in the midst of that crucial moment in the earthly ministry of Jesus, he focuses on, of all things, relationships and unity amongst those who would become his followers. It shows you how important that is, doesn't it? And what is the model for community that Jesus sees for his people? It's the same communal, relational love that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have and have had for each other. And this goes all the way back, friends, to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Very first chapter in your Bible, let us, let us make man in our image. And one of the aspects, one of the aspects of that image is that we were made to be relational people. We were made to be in community with others. So if God himself, bottom of page five, is a community, what does it mean to be human then, made in God's likeness? It means that we were made to be social beings. And in Genesis chapter 2, after making the first man, the male, Adam, God looks and says, it is not good. you all remember that? It is not good for a man to be what? Alone. So I'll make another one for him. Now let me just make a quick comment about that. Most of the time, when we look at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, and the Lord says it's not good for man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him, we assume that that's exclusively about marriage. It certainly, certainly, certainly includes marriage. He made a woman for the man and He gave the first bride away to the first groom. That's all true. But it means more than just marriage. It means in general that God wanted a female to be paired with this male for them to be. Do you remember He said be fruitful and do what? Multiply. Because it's not good that man be alone. So, I want you all To do the work of generating more people. Most of those people will get married. But many will not. But even if you're not in a marriage relationship, it is still not good that man be alone. God made other people, and he commanded to be fruitful and multiply so that there will be other people in order for you to be in relationship with. Every last human being made in the image of God is to be in relationship with other human beings. We are not to isolate ourselves. If you look on page 6, in Christ's prayer, what is one of the main purposes? And in Jesus' prayer, one of the main purposes in community, in relationship, is that in that, we show the glory or the, the character of God. In our proper relationships with one another, we show what God is like. Now, that puts a lot of freight in those relationships, doesn't it? A lot of importance. Because conversely, if we don't pursue those relationships properly, we give a distorted view of what God is like. Look at this next question, middle of page 6. Why do we need Christ to be praying for us? Why do we need Jesus to pray for us? Well, here's why, friends. You can't do in relationship what God designs. I can't do in relationship what God designs on my own my own sin, my own desires, my own selfish expectations, get in the way of my relationships and your relationships being what God has designed. And so we need God's help, and we need Jesus praying for us. Christ not only prays for our bottom of page six unity with one another, but that we would also have community with God. And if you'll come to these remaining sessions, as I said You'll hear a lot about God, and you'll be given opportunity, if you've never established a relationship with God, to do that very thing. Now, quickly, in the, on page 7, and then we'll be finished. What else is there in this prayer that shows God's deep commitment to creating true community? Well, see, friends, it's this. Jesus is praying this prayer the night before he goes to the cross. And the reason that Jesus is going to the cross is because the unity that he desires with those he made in his image has been broken by sin. The next day, Jesus is going to go to the cross to repair that. God is so serious about this issue of showing what he is like in our relationships that God himself came as man to do for us what we could not do for ourselves On the cross of Calvary. And then last on page 7. Think about the stages of a person's life, beginning from birth. What can you identify that shows that indeed we were designed to be in community with each other? You can think about that some, I hope, this week. But let me just quickly give you some possible answers to that and we'll be done. The fact is we are dependent from the moment we're born, aren't we, on other people? The fact is, most of us seek out relationships. Teens seek to be accepted by their peers. As young adults, we begin to desire deeper, more committed relationships. Most of us have a web of committed relationships and and a web of communities in which we function. Church, neighborhood, schools, family, work. Our fondest memories and our deepest hurts are often involved with relationships. Relationships. We grieve at the loss of a loved one even if we know that that loved one is at heaven with the Lord. We grieve because we were made for these relationships. Now, I want to encourage you in my closing closing comments to do just a few things, all right? Every one of these lessons has some pages called Make It Real. If you'll turn to page 9, excuse me, page 10, you have a Make It Real section. And if you have the opportunity to do that this week, it has some questions for you to see some practical application, even this week, of the things that we've talked about today. On the back of your notebook, if you'll just take a quick look at the back of your notebook, the very back cover, I just want to call your attention to some events that are coming up this week, two in particular. (laughs) Up at the top there is our Wednesday midweek program that meets at Patrick Henry Middle School. We have ministries for all ages, so we invite you to come to that. And then the next one is this coming Friday, October 9th, is our Hayride and Bonfire. And that's going to be at the home of Tom and Tammy Burkhart. There are maps for that on our on our information table to my far right. We would love to have you come to that beginning at 6.30 this coming week. All right? Let's pray and we'll be finished. Father, we thank you again for this time. And we ask you, Lord, to do the things that we ask of you earlier in our time together. And we pray that these sessions together will be profitable for us in this life, but not only in this life, but the life to come. And we pray that, they, that the, what we learn and put into practice out of these sessions may be used to reflect your character in our relationships. After all, that was the very reason for which you made us as relational beings. Go with us this week as we seek to begin, even now, to put some of these principles into practice. We ask you to grant us safety and bring us back next Sunday.